You're listening to Tatiana is Everyone, an Orphan Black podcast. My name is Chris. And my name is Stephanie. And in this episode, we are discussing episode four of season five of Orphan Black, entitled Let the Children and the Child Bearers Toil. And while we will be discussing anything and everything that happened in that episode, there shouldn't be any spoilers for future episodes. So what'd you think, Stephanie? You know, I liked this episode. I think it's becoming clear that the pace of this season is probably going to feel more like a marathon than like a mad dash. It feels like they are, they are showing us like the threads that they're going to try to bring together in this season that maybe were left a little dangling in previous seasons. So I liked the little like reintroduction of characters we hadn't seen for a while. And I thought there was some really good interpersonal stuff going on in this episode. So I really enjoyed it. How about you? I agree with you. And I think it's interesting that you make that comment about the pacing, because I feel like people are maybe unhappy about the pacing. From Which from, is fair. I mean, it is fair, but I, I kind of like it. Yeah. I think I kind of like it, because, I don't know, so much of this show has been very frantic, mm-hmm. or felt kind of frantic, and I kind of like that this feels very deliberate. I mean, this could change, mind you, depending on how the rest of the season goes, but... I kind of like what they've been doing so far, because it has really focused on character interaction stuff, which I am all about. I don't know if you noticed that about me. Uh, <laughs> I am all about character interaction stuff. I kind of care the most about that. So I really enjoyed that this episode especially focused on Mrs. S and Sarah sort yes. of teaming up, because I love that. Mm-hmm. We haven't seen them work together in this context before. Often, we've seen them work together before, but in this kind of conning, scheming type of more Sarah-type venture, usually Felix is sort of Sarah's go-to second person for such things, or she's working more by herself and she has somebody in the background. So it was really amazing to see them working together as kind of fellow con artists. Mm-hmm. I like that little exchange they had where it's like, you're you're casing this place. Yeah, well, so are you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, paradoxically, it seems that Sarah comes by her scamming abilities honestly. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it took me a minute to realize why the name Elizabeth Perkins sounded so familiar. <laughs> I was like, That's why an do I know that? It's an actress. It's an actress. Every time they said it, I'm like, wait a second. Because <laughs> then I kept having this feeling like I should recognize this character or something like that. Is it somebody from earlier in the series? No, it's just an actress's name. But yeah, the the family that cons together stays together. I hope. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I've made that joke before at some point, but but probably more about Sarah and Felix. But I loved the opening scene that sort of got that ball rolling in the kitchen of Mrs. S just very calmly and rationally directing people where they needed to go and coming up with it. Okay, Sarah, Sarah, we've got this many days before Kira has to go see Rachel again. We need to come up with something. Because, and I feel like that maybe is why the pacing of this, of this season has felt a little more slow so far is that people have kind of been in a holding pattern since Neolution has, you know, backed them into a corner in many ways. And so this is Mrs. S maybe take, trying to take a step in the direction of getting some leverage to change the situation. Mm-hmm. And I think part of it too is 
we do have several mysteries laid out for us. And so it's all about like solving those mysteries. But but there are like at least two major ones going on right now. To have those going sort of parallel with one another means that the beginning of the season's probably going to be a little slower than, let's say, the end when stuff starts getting resolved. <laughs> but I just, I, I love it when Mrs. S kind of finally shows her hand, because that's what the, this is was a reveal of what happened between her and Delphine, presumably, at the end of episode two, right? Delphine gave her this, like, line to Virginia Cody, who was off hidden in a hospital somewhere. Yep. So we have Mrs. S showing that card, and then she also shows her card with Adele and has her pop up out of nowhere. So I I don't know. For some reason, I just love it when Mrs. S is like, hang on, guys, I've got this. I just, I have a lot of trust in Mrs. S, and I, I like it when she takes control of situations. I bet Mrs. S is awesome at chess. She probably is. Yeah. Good point. And I think maybe part of it is that it feels like Sarah is always having to take on so much by herself. So it feels kind of nice when there's somebody there to sort of step up and say, it's okay, Sarah, I've got you this week. I mean, I want your help, of course, but I'll take charge of like putting all the pieces where they need to be. And you could you can kind of sit in the back seat for a little bit. And I really like that they echoed that first scene with the, I don't remember if it was the final scene of the episode. I think it was the final scene with that group, though, in that storyline, where mm, and, Sarah's yeah. like, you know, no, no, we we have to trust S on this. I thought that was nice. Yeah, though I do think because there's that scene in the car when they're driving to the hospital where Sarah kind of like calls Mrs. S out for being secretive. And yes, I agree. I don't think Mrs. S needs to necessarily be as secretive all the time as she is. I can kind of understand it to some extent. But I was a little confused by S's response of like how she she hardly ever does this, meaning like not telling Sarah something about something or other. I'm like, S, what are you talking about? You're secretive all the time. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure. I wasn't quite sure how to interpret that. Is it that she hardly ever conspires with Delphine for their own good? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's what she means. I don't really know. That's true, I guess. But yes, secretiveness is sort of just like part of her deal. Part of who she is as a person. I loved how seamlessly they moved into manipulating Elizabeth Perkins. I mean, <laughs> just as a viewer, you feel like, oh, no, you know, Sarah's throwing a fit. She's not going to play along. Oh, wait, she is. That's exactly what she's doing. This is brilliant. They didn't They didn't even have to say, okay, and go. <laughs> yeah, they, it just happened. And, and I do w wonder if Mrs. S cottoned on to what Sarah was doing immediately, or maybe even Sarah wasn't entirely sure if she was going to play along immediately. Like, was were they both kind of still figuring out what they were going to do before they sort of synced up and were like, okay, we're doing this? I like to think it was just like an immediate knowing of what was going on. That's fair. Because it's their deal. Like, this as a family is their deal. <laughs> I also thought it was a lot of fun to see Mrs. S dress up and use an accent other than her own trying to pretend to be somebody. Again, that's usually Sarah's bag. So, you know, I'm reminded of the discussion we had, I think it was last week, when we were talking about maybe in the season, it's going to, you know, have Sarah step back a little bit and like feature some of the other characters more. And this felt like maybe a, a continuation of that, where it's usually at least Tatiana Maslany, if not always Sarah, who is 
putting on different wardrobe, putting on a different accent in order to further the, you know, the clone plot of the week. But this week it was Mrs. S's turn. It was great, too. I know. I loved her practicing her accent in the in the car. I did also kind of appreciate the conversation that Mrs. S had with Dr. Perkins. Mm. I feel like it laid a nice foundation for this episode and probably for the season, specifically in regards to that final comment, I think, that, that Dr. Perkins has for Mrs. S, where she says, you know, your daughter is struggling on the threshold of what it means to become you. Because I felt, especially in this episode with the interactions between S and Sarah, as well as the interactions between Sarah and Kira, it really resonated, I felt like, in this episode. I, I do think that's a good thematically resonant statement about mothers and daughters. Motherhood has always been a really important, I don't know what's quite the right word, motif, theme, image, I don't know, that's, but it's been something really prominent in the series. And I felt like we got a, a lot of both motherhood-related stuff, or mothers and daughters stuff, as well as just this idea of family and who can be family and what it means to be a family in this episode. Mm-hmm. Because we had uh, we had Helena tell the nun that, oh, it's okay, Sarah's family, when she went in to visit Helena. And then later on in the episode at the end, in Mrs. S's living room, Mrs. S says that, you know, we're all going to do this as a family. Mm-hmm. Guys. I know. <laughs> so, of course, it turns out the purpose of all of this scheming and conning was to get to Dr. Cody, who was hidden in a hospital under the name Alex Ripley. What do we think of that name? I didn't think much of it at all, quite frankly. I don't know. I mean, it's sci-fi, horror-ish show. And there is, of course, the Ripley character from the Alien films. It might not be an intentional reference at all, but it just kind of popped into my head. And if it was an Alien reference, if it meant anything beyond the fact that, like, oh, it's a prominent female character in sci-fi horror genre. I mean, once you said that, it could be. I just, I didn't think about it as the episode was going on. Did you see Virginia Cody coming? No, I didn't. I was like, is it Marion Bowles? But no. I actually had that thought for a second when she was turning her head, because I couldn't quite, you couldn't quite see her face for a moment. It was just clearly somebody who had dark hair and kind of light skin and yeah, I did wonder for a second if it was Marion Bowles. But no, Virginia Cody. I can't say I've really been wondering what happened to her, but it did kind of make me think, oh yeah, she was kind of she was a loose end. We just see her be stopped essentially at the end of season three, and we see Rudy after that moment, but we don't see Virginia Cody again. Right. Cause I think it was Ferdinand who shows up. So it's strongly implied or hinted at, at least, that you know, she died, though they never actually show a body. So by rules of television, you know, she wasn't dead. But mm-hmm. at the same time, it's like, it's a Ferdinand. So there's at least a, you know, 40% chance, right? Yeah. Plus, I think the fact that that was the third season. Of course, I can't remember the last time we saw Marion Bowles either. Season two. Was it season two? Okay. It's going it to say, was. we hadn't seen her in so long, but I guess it had been longer since we'd seen Marion Bowles. But- and, we, and we still considered her. <laughs> it's true. 
I just I need resolution, Stephanie. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm I agree. I agree. Maybe I think maybe that's part of what it is though, is they they made it seem like she was going to be a big deal. Mm, yeah. And kinda nothing came of it. So I don't know. But back to Virginia Cody, who we did not Yeah, sorry, see sorry, coming. Dr. Cody. <laughs> it actually does make sense that they brought her back though. If they decided she was still alive. And we should have assumed in Orphan Black, right? Because it's until we see a body on Orphan Black, it kind of feels like anybody could be alive. Who knows? <laughs> it's true. Her return revealed some stuff about... It feels like we're working back to the beginning of Neolution, right? Because that's what, you know, if nothing else in this episode, we have we have Mrs. S tell Hell Wizard and Scott, you know, when I get back, I want a timeline of Neolution from day one. So it feels like we're working back to the beginning of Neolution in this season. And so it feels like before there was even Castor and Lita, we're told that it seems like there was Westmoreland, Susan Duncan, and Virginia Cody working on some early stuff. And... You know, this idea that Susan Duncan and Virginia Cody represented the different branches and the different techniques or, or ethics or what have you in, in the leader and the leader and the caster projects, I thought was an interesting way to, to frame it. Did you just turn into Mrs. S for a second? Leader? I did, because I said leader. I know. <laughs> but yeah, it's kind of interesting that we are going back to the origins of things, because I, I think that... Maybe in seasons past, it was less about where did all of this come from than we have to deal with this immediate threat. And now with the emergence of P.T. Westmoreland, it's become relevant again. Like, this is something we need to figure out just because all of this is such a tangled mess. We have to go back to the source, right? Like, we have to, if we want to find out what it is that's actually happening, it's really pertinent to go back to the origins. Yeah, that definitely seems to be more of a focus this season, though it does feel like we are still dealing with the more branch structure, perhaps, of the current iteration of of, uh, Neolution. But I like that they are also exploring where did this all come from? Because I feel like I see a lot on Tumblr flowcharts trying to figure out how everything fits together in the orphan black universe. And it is admittedly fairly complicated and maybe overly complicated as a fair critique of it. But maybe if we focus on like the beginning, it'll illuminate the different branches a bit more clearly. Yeah, I don't think any of the flowcharts I've seen thus far seem accurate to me. (laughs) I'm like, I I don't think that's actually what it is, though, because I feel like it's maybe more of a I think because I do see them as flowcharts, but I feel like it's a more of they need they need like a, a family tree style kind of a thing, right? Because it feels like most of this came from one place and branched out into several different areas, right? I think that's fair, or at least that's the impression this season is giving me. Yeah, but Virginia Cody, while she continued to be awful, did you hear what she yelled after them as they were leaving about Helena? I did. She said, give Helena my love. Ugh, she's so awful, Virginia Cody. She <sighs> is awful. I really did not blame Sarah for threatening her. She was terrible. She stole Sarah's visitor badge. So does that mean that we're going to see her again this season? I assume it does. Yeah, the the fact that she steals the visitor's pass, because it seemed like they were going to try to take her out of the hospital 
but then weren't able to. I've been kind of curious how Mrs. S finagled her way out of the situation with the actual doctor and and all that business. But anyway, they made it out okay. I mean, uh, but, he was preoccupied, so it's possible they just, like, jumped in their car and left. True. True. That's a good point. It feels like Dr. Cody is going to be revisited again, so we'll we'll see. We'll see where she pops up again. Mm-hmm. She was at least useful and gave us some more information about the beginnings of Neolution and some hints to this creature in the woods that was introduced in the beginning of Season 5. I have so many questions. Because apparently he preceded the Castor and Lita experiments. Because she said that they found him before they found Kendall Malone. So apparently they, they did all sorts of experiments on him when he was a child. And whatever it was they did to him caused tumors and brain damage and physical deformities. And I don't know. I am wondering what made his genome of interest to them. Right. I'm assuming he perhaps showed some unique healing factors, because we do see images of wounds, incisions, it looks like, on his extremities. Cosima finds those in the basement. Right. But maybe I'm wrong. They certainly seem to be interested in Kira because of her unique healing factors. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that that makes sense. That follows with what we know, because that is something that's of interest and the whole trying to avoid death, essentially. So I get that. But then it's just kind of like, well, what is it that they did to him even that caused those things? Like, I just I just don't understand here. What mm-hmm. what experiments are they doing? Because they were talking about trying to unlock his genome or something, right? How How does one do that? I don't understand. I am I am not a scientist. <laughs> they leave dangling what it was exactly they were trying to do cuz you know Mrs. S asks Dr. Cody that question and then the real doctor shows up and interrupts them. Actually no, Virginia Cody's like I'm not going to tell you anymore, which is fair. <laughs> so, we don't get a concrete answer from Dr. Cody, but we have all of these Island of Dr. Moreau references that have been floating around this season. So then You know, it leads us to maybe think, uh, were there any animal, you know, human splicing experiments they were trying to do with this guy? I I don't really get that sense from seeing him, but I'm not sure what to make of the Island of Dr. Moreau references beyond the fact that it was maybe just scientists doing things they really shouldn't do. And that now he's sort of animalistic seeming roaming the woods of Neolusion Island. Right. And it feels like we got through that story some more, not necessarily more information, because I still have, I have yet more questions, but maybe some more context for Mud, because she appears to be protecting, helping the creature in the woods. Seems to be. I have so many questions about that, too, though, because how old is Mud supposed to be? I, she of seems course- like she's... It's hard to tell because they're supposed to be preventing aging. I was going to say that that sort of muddies the issue. But, <laughs> but also, it seems like they're, they haven't been successful because why else are they still trying to pursue all these things? Yeah. So I don't know. I'm going to assume she's, she's in her early to mid-20s. That's what I assume looking at her. Right. I mean, she seems younger than the, the Lita clones is the point I was trying to make. 
So why does that make you question? I don't understand why that gives you questions her age. Well, it's just because what ties would she have then to the guy in the woods? Perhaps just because she seems to know his background. It seems like she feels sorry for him. Could be. So maybe because it doesn't seem like they have a super close relationship. She still screams (laughs) when (laughs) he's near. So I just, I guess, was assuming that she had some context for what had been done to him because she says to Kazima, it's not his fault. I assumed she meant the creature. It's not his fault. So I don't know. I guess I was thinking she knew what had been done to him and she felt sorry for him. It's entirely possible. I'm just, I I guess what I was getting at, though, is just like all of this stuff happened before her time. Right. Like before she, you know, lived. (laughs) There's not direct involvement, I guess, is what I'm getting at here. Sure. And this episode suggested that she might have a unique relationship with P.T. Westmoreland because she has access to the house, but it's it's like secret access. She didn't just walk up to the front door. Mm-hmm. So what is the relationship there? In a, in a previous episode, I apologize, I can't remember the listener's name, a, a listener wrote in and suggested that Mud could be P.T. Westmoreland's daughter. I think that's an interesting idea. Does she have some sort of personal connection with P.T. Westmoreland? Who knows, but she does seem to have a different type of relationship with him than the other villagers, necessarily. Mm -hmm. That actually seems like a fairly solid theory to me at this point. Yeah. I I don't know, obviously, but... Yeah, we could be wrong, but it does seem like a good theory. So Mud has this secretive, special relationship with P.T. Westmoreland, and then she also is protecting this creature from the other villagers because we see her have that exchange with the guys with guns who seem rather intent on if not killing him making sure the creature stays away from the village i guess Mm -hmm. the guns suggest maybe doing some harm to him though (laughs) though whether the intent is to kill or to just harm or defend it's unclear i felt like this episode i wanted to I just wanted to, like, grab Charlotte and Cosima by, like, the back of their jackets and just pull them backward. They kept walking into places where I just kept thinking, why are you going there? <laughs> Such is the Lita way. Right? <laughs> when there's that moment when, when Charlotte and Aisha, I think fairly, you know, they went to go try to find the pig. I'm on board. Okay. But then they hear scary noises and Charlotte's like, let's keep going. My immediate thought was, oh, she's such a Lita. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, I'm with Aisha. I think you guys should turn back. (laughs) Yes. That seems like a perfectly reasonable and logical thing to do. But especially Cosima, she just kept going. Like, really, Cosima? You're just going to walk into the house? Okay. I mean, have you met Cosima? I know, I know, but she's finally getting better. Like, she's getting getting some treatment for her prion disease. I don't want her to get harmed for doing something rash, like walking into a house she shouldn't walk into by herself. Or implanting a thing in her cheek like she tried to do last season. I yes. mean, this is, this is par I, for the course, is what I'm saying. I know what's in character. That doesn't mean I don't want to try to stop her. <laughs> I mean, I understand. Me too. I'm just... I I fully expect her to do stuff like this, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) It's weird seeing her in Earth Tones. It seems like she seems like almost a completely different person. (laughs) That's what it was, because I got so confused at one point when I saw her this episode. (laughs) 
like this feels wrong somehow. I think that's it, though. Yeah, it's the brown shirt and jacket. Like, no, this is not Cosima colors. Where are her jewel tones? Bring them back. Yes, the colors are too drab for her. Granted, she's probably having to subsist on what they have available at the village. And it seems like everybody wears great uh, earth tones there, which is understandable. They're trying to be sneaky. But then it feels like their yurts shouldn't be white. Whenever we have the overhead shot of the village, like if you're trying to hide yourself (laughs) maybe from aerial observation it feels like your tents should maybe be different colors but they they have the towers that block the satellite stuff remember i assume it's the towers that do that i don't know but yeah i just seeing her in the darker colors it's just i i got so confused for a second (laughs) were you not sure which clone it was supposed to be i mean it wasn't that exactly it's just like this feels wrong like, I, I know it's Cosima. I can see that it's Cosima, but it just, it doesn't look like Cosima. Not quite. Because not only is she wearing earth tones, she's also wearing solids. Like, there's no crazy patterns either. It just feels very un her wardrobe. <laughs> yep. Yep, that's what it is. On the other hand, though, when, if, since we're talking about wardrobe for the moment, on the other hand, when Ira and... Susan Duncan were out in the greenhouse. I'm like, ah, yes, the monochromatic twins have been reunited. (laughs) She was there in her white and he was there in his gray. I'm like, this feels right. (laughs) Yeah. Things have returned to normal. But I just kept thinking about Hell Wizard's line about, don't worry, your mom will be okay. (laughs) (laughs) I just kept thinking about it. Awkward. Things are so awkward now. (laughs) But speaking of Ira's mom, (laughs) we did have that reference in the premiere that Susan Duncan was going to pull through, and we see that she did here. And I am super intrigued by this tense relationship she has with P.T. Westmoreland. Because, like, it seems like they used to be a thing, right? It's not just me. No, I think they used to be a thing. Is Mud their child? (gasps) Intriguing. I'm just throwing it out there. I don't, I don't, I don't know. It's possible, though Susan would have been on the older side when she was born. But I mean, P.T. Westmoreland would have been on the real older side when she was born if he's actually 170. <laughs> so who am I to judge? <laughs> but we see Susan chastise him for being too ruthless in his methods, which is why we presume he sort of sided with Virginia Cody, apparently, back in the day, rather than Susan. Mm-hmm. But she still agrees to work with him. And he says, he says, like, I don't trust him, but he says no more secrets. And he's she's going to get access to Rachel's data about Kira. And, and you know, Susan's telling Ira she's doing it to protect them all. But I have no idea what's going on there. Do you have any idea what's going on there? <laughs> no. Okay. Of course not. <laughs> it's like, I understand what happened in the episode, but I don't really understand the larger context for whatever is going on between the two of them. I mean, we're not supposed to. Not yet. I know. I know. Have you seen this show before? <laughs> have I you have. met Susan? <laughs> I have not met Susan. <laughs> <laughs> but we do. We do learn from Susan Duncan that apparently the P of P.T. Westmoreland stands for Percival. I thought we knew that already. Didn't it say that in on, in the book that we saw back in season four? Honestly, I don't remember. That's fair. But 
We also hear from Hellwizard and Scott, who have been antiquing, I did enjoy that line, <laughs> that they were doing some research into the historical P.T. Westmoreland, who apparently vanished in Borneo in 1894 and then presumed dead in 1898. So how do you feel like the new information in this episode fits into your P.T. Westmoreland as a con man theory? I mean, it doesn't dispute it. It's true. Because maybe there was a P.T. Westmoreland and maybe he really did vanish in Borneo in 1894. And then somebody found out about that and was like, you know what, I'm going to claim to be this guy and claim to be 170 years old. Why not? Because I kind of look like him. Why not? Sounds sounds feasible to me. We do see P.T. Westmoreland get some sort of IV treatment, which, again, I don't feel like that defeats your con man theory at all or goes against your con man theory at all. Because he, he, you know, who knows what he's what he's getting. I mean, he entirely could be looking for the fountain of youth and could be a scientist, but that doesn't mean he's 170 years old and really P.T. Westmoreland. That, there is where, you, where you're skeptical, is just the fact that he's 170 in P.T. Westmoreland. I feel like we need to make that clear. That is where the skepticism lies, is, his, is in his age. Pretty much. That, that is, yeah. But speaking of treatments, we got an email from Fred wondering what the, the treatment was as well. And then Fred also mentioned, this is in regards to what P.T. says to Susan when she wakes up. He says that she receives a synthetic platelet-derived growth factor. And Fred asks, that it says that's a very curious phrase. He says, synthetic or platelet-derived is okay, but both is strange. And I hadn't really thought about it, but yeah, what is the, what is the synthetic modifying? Synthetic platelets? That's the only thing I can think of that really makes any sense, is if it's derived from synthetic platelets. But then, I guess that begs the question... Why would you not just derive a growth factor from real platelets? Or is it that the growth factor was derived from platelets, but whatever they're giving Susan is the synthetic version of a platelet-derived growth factor? It is a very curious phrase, Fred. I hadn't thought about it before, but now you have me. Now you have me asking lots of questions. Yeah, I I don't know. Obviously. This is not our field of expertise. <laughs> But I'm glad to have Susan back. You know, when when she got stabbed at the end of season four, it kind of felt like surely we're not done with her. So I'm glad that they've they've brought her back into the into play. And now with the return of Dr. Cody, I'm curious who else will see this season. Mm -hmm. And Adele. They've they brought back a couple of people True. who because with Adele, while I felt like they could have more story to tell with her, they also could have had her stay away and it would have been okay. I feel like same with Dr. Cody. So I am wondering who else we will see brought back into the mix this season. I've seen some, a couple of people mention Mark and Gracie, potentially. I believe Fred in, in an email was wondering if the return of Dr. Cody might mean the return of Mark and Gracie. I'd kind of be surprised if they show up, but I was also surprised that Dr. Cody showed up. So I don't know. Who knows? At the very least, it'd be easy to bring back Mark, <laughs> actors on the show, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's true. For a split second, I'm like, what are you talking about? Oh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's the same actor who plays Ira, Chris. <laughs> I know, I just... My brain is not working well. <laughs>
season three of Killjoys has just started, and we have a Killjoys podcast, in case you are unaware. We are releasing weekly episode discussions on The Quad, which is our Killjoys podcast. You can listen to episodes and subscribe to the podcast at askgenretv.com slash killjoys. I have to say, my favorite part of the episode was probably all of the really vulnerable stuff with Sarah. I always love vulnerable Sarah stuff. It's always my favorite. <laughs> More than Delphine? Um, I'm going to say yes. Wow. <laughs> I'm surprised. <laughs> I know. I know. But whenever it comes to... I, I I guess with Delphine, it's more just generally like, oh, Delphine! But with Sarah, it's particular moments where we get to see this, like, vulnerable side of Sarah. I don't know. It's Don't make me choose, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're the one who said it. I was just, I was just uh, thrown off. Well, now I feel uncomfortable about it. Let's move on. I enjoy vulnerable Sarah stuff a lot. I won't call it my favorite because then I might have to confront some things I don't want to confront. So, <laughs> uh-huh. And so I love I love her struggling with Kira so much, even though it makes me makes my heart sad because I want them to be be on good terms and stuff. I, I do enjoy seeing them negotiate their relationship. Yeah. I mean, the whole thing is so fraught as introduced in the first season. So it is nice to see them actually have to sort of work through some of these things. Because Kira has been pretty chill with Sarah and the fact that she tended to go away and leave her a lot. (laughs) And so it feels like Kira has earned this. You know, she's earned this period of... Discovering who she is as as a as a person and maybe being a, a bit frosty with Sarah and trying to work through what it means to be Sarah's kid and to have all of this business going on in her life all the time that she doesn't she isn't let in on, you know? Mm-hmm. I felt personally at least that Kira's frustration in this episode was very relatable. Yeah, me too. Cause a lot of it is a matter of you know, they don't let her know what's going on, but she knows something is going on. That much is really, really obvious. So yeah, why why wouldn't you be bothered by that? Especially somebody as smart and intuitive as Kira is. Because I thought it was revealing that part of why she likes going to see Rachel is she feels like Rachel tells her things. Which totally makes sense to me. Even though Rachel is terrible. I do have a lot of concerns for the way that Kira tried to explore and learn more about herself. However, I I do think that I do understand where she's coming from about wanting to understand more about what makes her special and what makes her different. It's like I, I feel like I understand the impulse, even though at the same time, it's just kind of like, Kira, no. Mm hmm. Or, or too much, Kira. Too much. <laughs> but again, she's a Le- she's she's part of the Lita family, so I feel like this sort of taking things a little too far is maybe just sort of it's it's an inherited trait. That's a good point. Do we feel pretty confident that the mouse is okay, though? <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> 
I didn't even consider she might do anything to that poor mouse, and y'all have me worried all week. I mean, I didn't think that's what it was going to be, but it crossed my mind. I'm sorry. It's okay. But I love that that situation with Kira. It seemed like it, it even encouraged Sarah to go see Helena. And I absolutely mm-hmm. loved that scene between the two of them. It was so good. Why are the, the Sarah and Helena scenes are almost always some of the best? Mm-hmm. And what really stood out to me in regards to that scene was how they finally feel like peers to me mm, in that mm-hmm. in that scene. Because before, especially if you think back to, for example, in season two, even Tatiana Maslany described their relationship as like the monster and her keeper. But that is not how this scene felt at all. It it, it felt like Sarah, because she, she did, she, she needed advice from Helena because she was experiencing something that Helena had experience with and she didn't. Right. And I was going to say at, at the very least or at its at its best it was very much like big sister little sister. Mhm. With Sarah of course being the big sister, so it does feel much more equal this this exchange. Cuz before it's it's always felt like Helena perhaps didn't quite have the I don't know the phrase. I don't want to say emotional maturity because that sounds condescending. But Helena grew up with a very different, in a very different environment than Sarah. And, and interacting with other people is not something she's always been able to do well. And mm-hmm. so it kind of, it finally feels like Helena is able to have the same type of interpersonal interactions as Sarah can. Whereas before it kind of felt like Sarah was taking her by the hand and kind of leading her along a path toward some end point. But here it felt like they were on that journey to emotional journey together. It was it was very, very sweet that scene talking about the clone connection that they have, if we want to call it that, which is probably not really accurate since Kira is part of it. Mm, true. And I was also glad to hear that that Helena doesn't seem to be cutting herself anymore. I mean, it's been a while since we've seen any of it or Really, they've made mention of it, so I, I guess I kind of assumed that it wasn't a thing that was really happening anymore. Well, I hope that means that she is is feeling better about herself and the world. I guess the time with the Hendrixes did her some good. Possibly also with the socializing aspect. Hmm, yeah. And you make a good point, because, you know, the Hendrix in their world is fairly... I mean, it's a little weird, of course, <laughs> but it's pretty stable, so I, I hope that was good for her. And, you know, Donnie was her buddy, and she was hanging out with the kids, so. She does like children. She is good with children. Yes. <laughs> I think possibly one of my favorite parts of this interaction between Sarah and Helena, though, was when Sarah says, I wasn't a good sister to you. And then Helena, of course, in her infinite wisdom, says, yes, we tried to kill each other. <laughs> And then, of course, Sarah has to explain that that wasn't exactly what she meant. <laughs> <laughs> Though, Helena's not wrong. She had a point. <laughs> I know, I know. It's like, Sarah, I feel like this kind of falls under the, the purview. <laughs> <sighs> I just love those two so much. Those two actresses are great together. <laughs> Aren't they? It's, it's, they just work together so seamlessly. There's excellent chemistry there. It's weird. <laughs> And seriously, they're not even being show-offy with the clone-clone scenes anymore. It's just, 
it just feels like, look how easily we can have these these two characters played by the same actor interact with each other. Look how look how f- seamlessly we do this because they do such a good job. It's true. They do such a good job that you don't even get distracted by it. I often just don't even really think about it too much anymore. Exactly. Because I feel like in the first couple of seasons, and maybe part of it was just novelty, but I think it was more so because they were still like improving on the their filming technique and technology and stuff like that. It was more of a, oh, how are they doing this? And you would start trying to like figure out how they shot the scene in your head. But I don't even do that anymore because it's just so seamlessly incorporated into the show. We actually got a comment about this from Ralph, who says, During the first season, I thought that Tatiana's work was amazing, but stunned acting to show off the video effects. Now I see that the magic of the show happens because the Cestras have the same person as their basis, and so there can be random moments when Allison or Cosima, and even Rachel, pops out of something Sarah says or does, and vice versa. And even though we miss Catherine's performances on air, they are part of the reason the show coheres despite all the plot twists. And I think that's fair. I think that's true. The other sibling reunion we got this episode was Felix and Adele. I She was another one. I had had no clue who was going to pop up when Mrs. S said that a visitor was going to come to Felix's loft. But I was very happy to see her. I, I was kind of surprised how happy I was to see her. I feel like she adds a nice, a nice burst of just uncomplicated energy. Because even though she's been let on on like the clone stuff, she doesn't have all of the baggage that some of the other characters have because they've gone through all this stuff over the past several seasons. Adele, even though she's in the know now, she's still a bit uncluttered by all that. And I like that her response seems to be kind of like, wow, that's crazy. And also, so much makes more sense now. (laughs) Yeah. Where's my cocktail? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. But I think that actress is really great. And I I like the chemistry that she has with Jordan Gavaris. So I'm curious to see if we'll actually get to see them get up to no good in Switzerland, or if that will all hop, happen off screen, and then they'll come back and report. I'd hope they would show us at least a little bit of it. Me too. That is my wish. For the next episode, probably. How do we feel about Mrs. S telling Adele the secrets behind Felix's back? Uh, Sarah is cool with it, so I'm going to be cool with it also. Yeah, I kind of feel that way, too. Like, I understand why Felix is a little miffed, but it was really, most of it anyway, was really Sarah and the clone secret rather than Felix's. So if Sarah feels cool about it, I, th- I feel like we can we can move on. Right. Because I think Felix was like, it wasn't your secret to tell. And I'm like, yeah, it was Sarah's. And Sarah seems fine with it. So I'm I'm going to be good with it. Plus, I'm sure Mrs. S thoroughly vetted her. So I was going to say, it feels like the reason we hadn't seen Adele for a while was that Mrs. S was thoroughly checking into her, making sure she was okay and trustworthy and maybe even could be useful for something in the future. It it felt like a very Mrs. S thing to do. Mm-hmm. But yeah, here she just got back, and now they're going to go off to Switzerland, because apparently Hellwizard and Scott found six subsidiaries of Neolution in Switzerland. Yeah, it feels like this is the thread of them figuring out sort of like the current 
version of Neolution and what that looks like. And then we've got the island where they're in that scene where they're investigating like the beginning of Neolution. So I could be wrong, mm-hmm. but that's that's kind of the sense I got with Felix and Adele investigating that was they were trying to get a better sense of the flowchart nowadays or the family tree nowadays. Why Switzerland? Do we know? I don't know, but I was reminded of the fact that at the end of season three, was it in season three or in season two, where Rachel's being operated on, aren't there like German-speaking doctors in that scene? <sighs> Didn't they say she was in Austria? Oh, was she in Austria? I couldn't remember. I think it was Austria. Okay. And that was at the end of season three, I believe. My bad. She got the eye injury at the end of season two, but they gave her the bionic eye at the end of season three. Right. I was just, I was wondering, though, if it's about Switzerland. Banks. Well, there's that. But I'm like, what are the laws regarding cloning and genetic testing and all that sort of things? All that sort of thing. What are they in Switzerland? That's a good question. We should maybe look that up. Yes. Either either listeners know and let us know if you do. Or we will do some research. I also have to say, I always love Felix when he's in Uncle Felix mode. Yes, because it's adorable. He's He's got such a different, lighter touch with Kira than Sarah does. They both clearly love her very much, uh, but Sarah is a lot more intense, I guess, when it comes to Kira, mm-hmm. and, and, and especially situations where she's concerned. Felix is a lot more patient and willing to sort of like wait and make her comfortable and draw Kira out a bit. Right. Also, can I point out that Felix agrees with me about Mr. Mitchell? I thought you'd be happy about that. <laughs> because he was like, that scrumptious Mr. Mitchell. And I'm like, I know, right? <laughs> I don't know that they're leading to Felix having a new boyfriend, but I'd be for it if Felix landed Mr. Mitchell. <laughs> it would be adorable. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying. We also wanted to mention, because we've talked a bit about sets that have been seen on multiple Canadian television shows, Sarah and Mrs. S, they found Dr. Elizabeth Perkins in Valhalla. <laughs> <laughs> on, on Lost Girl. It was Valhalla in Lost Girl. We should clarify. They showed up at that hotel and I was like, oh no, things are going to be bad this week. <laughs> <laughs> They're heading to the afterlife. No! I was going to say. <laughs> oh dear. That location is the Royal York Hotel in Toronto, and is gorgeous. And I suspect was actually supposed to be the Royal York Hotel in Toronto. <laughs> yes, it was not actually standing in for anything in this particular case. <laughs> it's like, huh, how confusing. <laughs> oh, and in case anybody was wondering about it, we did find a translation of what Helena was writing last episode. We have posted it on our website. We have reblogged it, so... You can check that out there if you're curious. Thank you to the person who translated it. So we got this great, but, but kind of long uh, email from Sarah. I am not complaining about long emails. Please don't think I am. But just to explain that Stephanie and I are going to take turns reading this. Uh, just FYI. So it's all Sarah. <laughs> Sarah is just being played by two different people in this episode. <laughs> It's like it's like the inverse of Tatiana is everyone. Yes. <laughs> everyone is everyone is Sarah. Everyone is Sarah. Okay. 
My thoughts on this episode are very much colored by the fact that I'm reading The Island of Dr. Moreau right now, and darn, the OB folks are taking that crap literally. It makes me really curious about how long they've been planning for the story to unfold this way. Like, did they know from the start that the island of Dr. Moreau would be such a central pillar? Did they always plan to have Cosima on this island in the final season? I have so many questions. As for the episode itself, despite my inevitable disappointment whenever Delphine... Let me try that again. Delphine! I don't know which Delphine I prefer. Delphine! We'll go with that one. Doesn't show up. Though I loved when Mrs. S wouldn't reveal her as the source of information about PT. It was a super strong episode. The mother-daughter themes were strong. First of all, Sarah and Mrs. S are such a dream team. But more than that, I love the whole Mrs. S-Elizabeth Perkins interaction and how it pointed out how much Sarah and Mrs. S are alike. I just love them both so much. Then there was the scene with Sarah and Helena, my beautiful small angel Helena, who basically made me weep with her reflection on her own self-harm and how far she has come. Also, how far she and Sarah have come as sisters. That line about how this is what Rachel can't have, my heart melted. I wonder how you both feel about Allison being kind of gone for a while. I imagine that was to make Tatiana's job a little easier. And honestly, as much as I love Allison, I really am here for Kasima and Sarah. Please no one hate me. I really do love Allison. And I hope to get Crystal back soon, too. Regarding the monster in the woods slash Virginia versus Susan stories about how he was created, I don't trust either of them because I think their morals are whacked, just in slightly different ways. I agree. I'm unsure why Westmoreland needs Susan so much. He's creepy. He's AF. creepy. He's creepy AF. <laughs> I still don't know what Kasima's long game is. If she has one, she's kind of not in control of her situation. She seemed pretty entranced by PT when she met him, and I'm looking forward to slash terrified of seeing how much of this Kool-Aid Delphine has drunk and how much Kasima will drink. I have thoughts based on the preview for next week, but I know how much Stephanie hates spoilers, so I won't say them. Thanks, Sarah. Anyway, the point is, since the Monster Man was a child when they first experimented on him, I worry a lot for Kira, and also want to know what about his genome was so unique that they found him slash chose him. Was he like Kendall Malone? Speaking of Kira, I'm kind of digging her this season. She's using her agency and rebellion against her mother is a clear parallel between her and Sarah. Sarah and Mrs. S. That said, if she's hurting herself in order to figure out who she is, that's worrying. She also obviously didn't heal from that wound right away, so I wonder what that means. I feel like she healed from the car accident in less than a day. I love the interactions between Kira and Felix, too. I hope something amazing happens to Felix by the end of the season, because he's been dragged through a lot. I'm also actually pretty happy that Adele showed up again. I didn't love her at first, but I do find her endearing and a good person for Felix, well, besides enabling drinking and drug use. And I'm glad she's going to be helpful in this whole weird, sprawling investigation that now includes multiple Swiss companies. Par for the OB course, I guess. I just hope their cosmetic companies and Crystal gets in on it, too. <laughs> Thank you so much for your email, Sarah. Lots of good stuff in there. We couldn't decide like what to feature, so we just decided to read the whole thing. Because <laughs> why not? It's our podcast. We do what we want. <laughs> <laughs> also, the the comment about the healing from the car accident versus healing from this the car accident was like blunt force trauma. So I'm wondering if that makes a difference because, you know, like a cutting wound would be different than that. I don't know. Just a thought. Yeah. Because it also felt like Kira, it's not that she was 100% better in a day, but she her injuries were not as 
traumatic and severe as they anticipated. I'm trying to remember if we got a clear sense of what exactly, if anything, the hospital found wrong with her. Because I do remember her like being in bed for a day or so after, or an episode or so after she was hit by the car. So it felt like there was maybe at least something a little bit wrong with her that needed to heal. But it just, the shocking thing was that she didn't have super traumatic injuries. Right. I think they were in the hospital and they were really worried for a second. And then after a little bit, they were like, oh, it's not that bad. It looks like she'll be okay. Mm Because that was the big thing is they were convinced it was going to be a lot worse than it was. And I think, actually, I don't remember how long she was in the hospital, but I remember she was sort of like healing at home for a little while after that, too, right? Exactly. So, but that's a good point, though, that maybe blood force trauma different than an incision. I feel like, is it possible that she's cut herself more than once? I don't know. It could be it was just the one time. But did she cut herself once and like maybe a little bit and it healed kind of quickly. So maybe she tried to cut herself more to see how fast a larger wound would heal. You're making me worry more now. I'm sorry. I'm very sorry. So I think it's unclear from from a couple of angles in regards to Kira's healing factor. But I did kind of have that question too, like, oh, she still has a wound. What does that mean about her her healing abilities that we've seen her had previously? But back to her question about Allison, I kind of feel okay about it, about Allison being perhaps shuffled away a little bit in this season. Uh, but I kind of feel like you, I guess. I'm I'm more here for Sarah and Kasima than I am for Allison, even though I love Allison. Yeah, me me too, quite frankly. Which, please don't don't hurt any of us people who love Allison. I love Allison too. But yeah, as far as story stuff goes... I mean, this has been a frequent a frequent discussion among Orphan Black fans, right? That Allison's storyline usually seems to be a little bit separate from the rest of them. So it kind of makes sense in that regard, unless they really incorporate Allison more into the main story. Exactly, because it feels like this season they're really trying to tie up loose ends in regards to the clone project and the illusion and all of this larger plot line that's been going on. So to have a lot of Allison in season five could potentially have been a distraction from that. So unless she comes back and she's really incorporated into the clone stuff, it does feel like too much of Allison off in the suburbs would have taken up more screen time than they really had available to them this season. Right. Of course, I mean, it's only been one episode without her, which isn't really unusual. No. I'm I'm curious to see what they'll do for the rest of the season. Right. Yeah, it's not unusual to have even one of the main clones be missing for an episode, because like last week we didn't have Kasima, this week we didn't have Rachel. We'll see what happens in, in future episodes. I feel like they're going to bring Allison back for sure, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if it maybe waited toward the end of the season. Could be. Because, I mean, we're all we're already halfway through almost. Almost. And speaking of Allison, we had this other feedback from Ralph. Ralph said, I think that MK's score of Ferdinand's millions is now the financial basis of Clone Club, and that's why Allison feels in the way. So she had to find another way to contribute and delivered. But the realization that she's more than the money in the group is why she wants to go away and reboot her life's work. The interesting aspect to me of this theme is that OB addresses economic class issues and their impacts on people's self-image in a much more helpful way than is normally seen. That's a good point. 
Yeah, I, I hadn't really thought about it, but what did exactly happen with Ferdinand's millions? I didn't get the impression that MK had shared them with Clone Club, but it's certainly possible now that she's she's passed away. Because she definitely seemed, before Ferdinand killed her, MK seemed to be helping and sort of stepping back. So that's a good point. If you have any thoughts that you would like to share feedback about either the episode or our thoughts on the episode, you can do that in a number of ways. You can send us an email at feedback at tatianaiseveryone.com. You can record a voice message on your smartphone and email it to us. You can call us the old-fashioned way to leave a, a traditional voicemail at 972-514-7223. You can also contact us on Twitter at TIE Podcast. And we are also on Facebook. Tatiana is Everyone is part of the Ask Genre TV family of podcasts. To find our other podcasts about Lost Girl and Killjoys and some other shows, visit our website, askgenretv.com. And in this episode, alien references were played by Tatiana Maslany. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.